All right, welcome to another Sunday in Epiphanies. Epiphanies is the season where we are shining a light on Christ. We're doing that by going through the Gospel of John. So turn in your Bibles today to John chapter 6. We're going to do a very famous story. If you've hung out in a church at all, you have probably heard this story. It's called The Feeding of the 5,000. One of the reasons it's so famous is because it's one of the very few stories that appears in all four of the Gospels. We have four accounts of the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you might not know this, but they tell different stories. We'll talk about that in a minute. There are not many stories, aside from things you would think of, like the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's definitely in all of them. But lots of the events in his life, they tell different stories about. But this one, all four of them talk about. So we're going to read this story in John chapter 6. And then I'm going to show you a little bit about how I prepare sermons Because part of what I want to do in preaching to you is not only to give you information, not only hopefully to connect you to God's spirit, but also to model for you, how how do we study scripture, right? I mean, I encourage you all the time to read scripture, just read it, you know, not study it, not memorize, just just be reading it every day. But sometimes we also want to study it. We want to understand it. How do we do that? So one of the things that I do when I'm going through and studying the scriptures is I read other scriptures about that scripture, I read the other stories. Since this one appears in all four Gospels, we're going to read it in all four. We're going to read everyone's account. I want you to notice the differences, how different John is from the other three guys. The other three Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. I told you that's a fancy Greek word that means to see together. Because the other three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they tell the same stories in sort of the same way, usually. John is very different. We've talked about how John is writing decades and decades later. The Gospels are all available. He's sort of filling in details that aren't there. He's talking about other things they haven't written about. Listen to the differences. So read along with me, John chapter 6. We're going to read the first 15 verses. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed, healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one just to have a bite. Another of the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will that go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, He said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and they filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is coming into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. All right, that's John's account. Now, 
If, you've got, if you want to flip over in your Bible and read along with me greater, if you just want to listen to the next three, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 14. This is Matthew's account. It starts in verse 13 and goes down through verse 21. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. But Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 20 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. All right, here's Mark's account. It's in Mark chapter six, if you wanna follow along. It starts in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done. And then because so many people were coming and going that they didn't even have a chance to eat, Jesus said to them, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all around the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? What do you, how many loaves do you have, Jesus asked. Go and see. They found out, and they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of fish and bread. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. And here finally is Luke's account. This is in Luke chapter nine, charting in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a small town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed them. He welcomed them and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go into the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we're in a remote place. But Jesus replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. There was about 5,000 men there. Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke them. And he said to his disciples to distribute it to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So one of the things I do as I'm studying a passage, I'm comparing all of these different accounts and I look at, okay, like what's different? Why does John include things that the others don't include? Why does he leave things out? So for instance, one of the big differences, all three of the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all give you a bunch of detail about what happened beforehand. 
they went to this town or they went to this region or they, they came over here and the, the people, they were running and people recognize them and they come and Jesus sees them and he has compassion on them and he heals them. There, there's par- a couple paragraphs of information about what happens before, the he- before Jesus does the miracle. In John, they go off, Jesus sees the crowd and he turns to his disciples and boom. In the others, in the synoptics, they mention that they've been there all day that Jesus has been teaching and healing and that it's the disciples who start this discussion. They come to Jesus and say, boss, it's late. There's nothing to eat here. Send them away so they can go get something to eat. Again, John doesn't mention any of that. John just jumps right into the story. But John gives us so much more information about the dialogue between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples say, send him away. Jesus says, you give him something to eat. They're like, that's crazy. We don't have enough. And we're into the story. In John, we get this dialogue where Jesus says, he says specifically to Philip, hey, Philip. Now, remember, we already know from the other stories, they've told him, we need, these guys need to go. So Jesus is responding. He says, Philip, well, Philip, how do, how do you think we should feed these guys? And then John makes this really interesting statement in verse six. He asks this only to test him. He already had in mind what he was going to do. John fills us in on what's going on in Jesus' mind when he does this. This hasn't just happened. He's not just throwing this out. Oh, you give them something to eat, which is kind of almost like what it sounds like in the other ones. You give them something to eat. Like Jesus is being very intentional, John says. Again, he's filling in details we don't know from the other three guys. And then Philip answers. We get this conversation. Like, that's crazy. We would take tons of money. We don't have enough money even to give everybody a bite of food, much less feed them. Then Andrew shows up and says, well, okay, here's what we do have. We do have these five loaves and these two fish, but even Andrew's not sure. You know, he's put, but I mean, what is that gonna do? And then we're into the story. And we get the same story. All four tell us the same story. Jesus breaks it. He prays. They distribute it. Everyone eats as much as they want. And then in the end, all of them say, they picked up 12 baskets, boom, we're done. John gives us a ton more information about what happens at the end. Why did they pick up those 12 baskets? Because Jesus told them to. Jesus commanded them. He tells his disciples, gather all the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. And then John tells us what happened after that. What's the rest of the story? What did the crowd do? The crowd's like, oh my gosh, this is the guy, this is the prophet. We gotta make him king, it's time. The synoptics don't tell us anything about that. As I'm going through these passages and I'm studying them and I'm praying, I'm asking God, okay, what, what do you want us to talk about? One of the things I'm doing when we have multiple accounts like this is I'm asking myself, okay, why does this author tell us all these different pieces? Why does he give us details the other one didn't? Why does he not include other things? John gives us a bunch more information about the conversation Jesus has with them, and he gives us a bunch more information about what happens afterwards. He gives us almost none information about what happens before, and we've talked about how in John, he's not nearly as interested in what happened. He's far more interested in how people respond. That's where he spends his time, and we see that here again. John gives us this dialogue. What do we learn in that dialogue? What what do we learn that we don't know elsewhere? We know that Jesus is being intentional. He's testing them, it says. Now, when you hear the word test or or try in the Bible, you gotta unwind it a little bit in your mind because for us, tests happen at school. 
That's probably the time that you have been tested. I graduated college in 1988, and I started grad school in 2019. Guess what? I don't think I took a test in between that whole time. In that 30 years, I cannot think of an exam I took once I got out of school. For us, testing is about mastery. You get a grade. There's a pass and a fail. You have to do so well. If you don't do so well, these things happen. In their world, tests are not about school. It's about metallurgy. You are testing metals. We're out and you find this rock, this nugget on the ground. And you think, oh my gosh, that's gold. That, like, like all that, there's all that gold in there. What do you have to do with that? You have to test it. And the way we would test that rock, if we lived in Bible times, is we'd get a hammer and we'd smash it up. We'd grind it into powder and we'd put it in some sort of metal bowl under a fire. The fire will burn away any of the organic material that's in that. Any of the soil that's organic, any of the, uh, the bacteria, the organism, that all's just going to burn, poof. And then it's going to melt the gold. Because a fire is hot enough to melt gold. It's not hot enough to melt rock. So we're going to end up with any gold is going to be a liquid, and we're going to pour it off. Anybody remember fractional distillation in chemistry from high school? Your teacher gave you a, you know, a, 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 a what is that, a, a test tube with some liquid in it, and they're like, okay, what's in this? And you got to boil it to see what comes off, and you got to freeze it to see what precipitates out, and you got to strain it, and that, that's testing in their world. You burn off any of the junk you can burn off. You melt down the good stuff and pour it off. You separate what is worthless because in that nugget, right, the rock is worthless. The dirt is worthless. The gold, the gold is worth something. And you read this kind of language in scripture all the time about your faith being tested. It's not an exam. It's metallurgy. We're getting rid of the junk. John says Jesus is testing them. He's going to get rid of the junk that they have. Because let's face it, we all have a big ball in our lives that we call faith. We all have this big ball and we say, oh yeah, look, this is my faith. This is what I believe. I hold this to be true. And the way you know what's actually in there is fire, trials, suffering, because that will burn away all of the junk, anything that is dross, anything that is worthless, you will separate the gold from what doesn't matter. That's what Jesus is doing to his disciples right here. He's separating out for them. Maybe they think they believe. Maybe they think they know what's going on. This is going to show them because how do they respond? Philip's response is, we don't have enough. We can't do it. There's not enough. There's no way. Do you know how much money you're talking about, Jesus? And Andrew's response is, well, here's what we got. It's not much. I don't know how it's going to work. But here's what we got. There's two responses. One is, can't be done, not enough. Other is, well, here's what we got. And notice, Jesus doesn't quiz them about this. He takes what they have and he passes it out. And they feed 5,000 people. That means 5,000 families. They're, they're counting heads of household. This is 20 to 30,000 people. 
He takes five loaves and, and it, we translate it small loaves because it's a dinner loaf. It's about this big. And little fish, they're like anchovies. He takes five dinner rolls and two anchovies and he feeds 20 to 30,000 people. And everybody eats all they want. But what did he start with? He started with what they had. Like he's testing them. He's burning away the junk. He's separating in them what is real and what matters and what isn't and what doesn't. That with Jesus, you have enough. Whatever he has asked you to do, you've got what you need to do that. Even if it's just a dinner roll and an anchovy and you got 20,000 people out there because he can do it. If he asks you to feed 20,000 people, you can feed 20,000 people because whatever you start with, that's enough. Jesus is with you and that's enough. I think that's the first thing that, that he is testing in them. Like he's, he's burning out all their self-reliance. Hey, oh guys, you know, you're doing great. You've been with me all this time. You feed all these people. What? That's crazy talk. We can't do that. Andrew says, here's what we got. It's not enough, but here's what we got. He's burning away self-reliance. He's asked them to do something, and the only way they're gonna do it is through him. But they are gonna do it through him. John actually doesn't tell us this. The other three guys, I don't know if you noticed, in each case, the other three guys tell us, Jesus gave it to the disciples and the disciples distributed it. Like, they actually do feed everybody. They feed all 20 plus thousand people. They do it by taking it from Jesus and giving it to the people and taking it from Jesus and giving it to the people. And who knows how long it takes these guys to do that, to feed those thousands and thousands of people spread out on the hillside. But they do, in fact, do exactly what Jesus told them to do. You give them something to eat. And Jesus hands it to them. And they give them. And they come back and Jesus hands it to them. And they give it to them. And they, who knows? Again, they may do that for hours. But Jesus tells them to do it. And they do. Because he is with them. And they can. They don't have it in themselves. Philip's right. We don't have enough money to do that. But we have Jesus. I think the first thing he's doing is burning out their self-reliance. But then notice the other thing that John makes sure we know that none of the other guys tell us, which is about what happens at the end. It's not just as the other three guys tell you, eh, they picked up 12 or 12 basketfuls left, right? Which tells you, wow, he, may, he not only made enough food for everyone to eat, there's, there's some left over. John says, Jesus tells his disciples, gather up the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted, this guy just made enough food to feed 20 plus thousand people. Are you concerned about wasting food? Are you worried about where your next meal's gonna come from? I'm thinking, seriously, you want us to collect? Think of how big 20,000 people is. And they pick up 12 basketfuls. That's not a lot of food for 20,000 people. Presumably, most people are taking the extra home with them to eat sometime later or on the journey. There's a little bit left over there out on the hillside. And Jesus is telling you to go, you make food. We don't need to pick it up. We don't gotta take it with us. You make it. That's not what he says, is it? He doesn't say, come on, let's go. Dinner's on me. What do you want? 
I mean, I assume he could make food out of nothing. He certainly does in other times in the scriptures. There's a story in the Old Testament where people are complaining of food and millions of quail fly into their camp. Boom, there's food. He could have quail fly in. There's a story where a, a guy doesn't have food and ravens come flying in with bread in their mouth and they drop it for him. God could have ravens fly in. He could make food, but normally he doesn't. Normally, you get food by buying it, by growing it, by collecting it. Don't let it be wasted, Jesus said, because there's this tension in our lives as Christians. And there was a tension for the disciples at the time between God's power and our responsibility. Jesus, if one thing they're learning is, wow, if Jesus is here, I can do anything. Well, then why bother? Why try? I mean, Jesus is here, right? How many people think I show up on Sunday mornings, open the Bible and say, let's see, what passage are we reading today? Because of course, Jesus is here and he'll tell me what to say, right? There's this tension that we have as believers between, yes, Jesus could do all of it for us. Jesus can command us to do things and he could do all of it through us. And yet, that's not normally how he does it. Jesus and the disciples are together between two and three years, right? That's somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 meals that they share together. And there are two stories in scripture where he makes food. Two out of 2,000. The rest of the time, they buy it. They grow it. They, they harvest it. All the rest of the time, they get food the same way everybody gets food. On the one hand, Jesus can do anything, and he does he has just fed 20 plus thousand people. I would be thinking, I am never going hungry again. Ever. No one is ever going hungry again. That famine four years ago, that's it. We're done. This guy makes food. That's not his way. His way is not to sweep in and distribute everything and sweep out, and people just sit and take. If you go on and read through more of these stories, they'll come back to him the next day and be like, hey, what's for breakfast? Right? And wow, does Jesus lay into them, and he does not feed them again. There is this tension for us as believers between relying on Christ, which we are absolutely called to do, and also understanding that we're supposed to work we are supposed to work hard for our lives, for the gospel, for the sake of Christ. And that can be a difficult line to know. Now, I don't know about you, but I have seen this happen. So the first four years I was a pastor here, I pastored with another guy named Brian Marvel. And if you were here, you remember him. Brian and I would alternate preaching. So Brian would do John chapter one. Next week, I'd do John chapter two. Next week, he'd do John chapter three. We went back and forth like that. One morning, we're going through the gospel of Luke and I come in and I go, same thing I do when I, Brian's preaching and I come into his office, you know, it's a little while before the service and I say, same thing I always say, hey, can I do anything for you? Right, because you got to preach, so I'm going to handle these other things. Can I do anything for you? And he is white as a sheet and his eyes are big and he says to me, Jeff, I don't have a sermon. 
I don't have anything to say. I have been working on this all week. It's like there's a, a, a wall down in front of me. I have, I, I have nothing, literally nothing to say. What am I going to do? And in that moment, I knew exactly what to preach. It was like a thumb drive got stuck in my brain or something. Like, I knew, I knew why he didn't have anything to say. I knew what God wanted us to say. I knew what the sermon was. Boom. It just happened. And I said, Brian, I think I know why this is happening. You're not supposed to preach today. Don't worry about it. I got this covered. Right? And I did. I stood up and I preached. Right? It was just downloaded into my brain that morning. I showed up. I didn't have a sermon. Boom. I've been doing this for 10 years. That's the only time that's ever happened. <laughs> ever. That I have just shown up on a Sunday morning, was supposed to preach, had no idea. I hadn't, I hadn't even read the passage. And I knew, I didn't have to read the passage. I knew what God wanted me to say. One time in 10 years. All the rest of the time, this afternoon, while you guys are getting ready to watch the Super Bowl, I will be reading John chapter seven because that's, I start the prep for the next sermon Sunday afternoon. I'll read the passage. Tomorrow, I'll start studying it. it, it we're, we're in the New Testament, so I'll study it in Greek. For the Old Testament, I'd start working through it in Hebrew. I will pour into it. I will take it apart word by word. I'll spend a day doing that or, or several hours. I mean, I meet with people and, and that sort of thing as well. On Tuesday, I'll start reading commentaries and I have a lot of commentaries. <laughs> I won't read all of them, right? I'll skim them, I'll look at them, I'll see what's valuable, I'll start looking at, okay, what have people down to the ages said about this passage? Wednesday and Thursday, I'll start putting everything together until by Thursday, I've got it all outlined and I know what I'm gonna say and then I'll set it aside and I'll come back in here about seven in the morning and I'll spend three hours just going over that outline, saying things out loud, does that work? Does that sound, oh, that story takes too long. I've got a timer up here to make sure that I don't go like 45 minutes and mean we don't sing anything else and the teacher's back there, I will spend hours. They tell you when you start preaching, expect to spend an hour of prep time for every minute you speak. So I speak 30 minutes. So I would spend, now again, I've been doing this 10 years, right? It doesn't take me 30, 30 hours anymore, but wow, it can sure take me 20. Bad weeks. If I have a week where there's 40 hours of other work to be done, then it's a 60-hour work week because I got to put in more. One time, God has downloaded it into my brain. All the rest of the time, you work. You work for it. I can read. I've got the commentaries on my shelf. I know the languages. God expects us to work for it. That's, that's the tension we live with. And I think Jesus is testing them. He's burning the dross out in both sides because look what happens at the very end of this story. The people see what Jesus has done and they're like, oh my gosh, this is the guy. I've told you the Old Testament has all these clues that someone's coming. Eventually they'll call him the Messiah, the anointed one. One of the early clues is from Moses. Again, so this is, you know, 1,500 years before the time of Christ. Moses tells the people before he dies, one day the Lord will send another prophet to lead you. And so that's a clue that people are waiting for. If you remember when we studied John the Baptist, that's one of the things they asked him. Are you the prophet? Are you the guy Moses talked about? And these people look at Jesus and they're like, that's him. That's the guy Moses talked about. 
And Jesus knew they were going to come and make him king by force. It's not necessarily clear in translation, but they're gonna force, they're gonna force Jesus to be king. It doesn't mean they're gonna have a revolution and install him. That means that even if he doesn't wanna be king, they're gonna make him be king. Now think about that. They are saying to Jesus, you're the guy from God. God has sent you to lead us. So we're gonna make you do what we want, whether you like it or not. Please, prophet, lead us. But you better lead us the way we want because we're making you king. You don't like it? Too bad. We're gonna force you. They're doing exactly the opposite of the thing they say they want. They want this man from God to lead them. So they're gonna make him do what they say. And what does Jesus do? He leaves. He physically departs. He goes back up into the hills. Because in this tension, I think if we fall off too far to one side, if we get too far into the, I don't gotta prepare a sermon. I don't gotta work on this. I'm just gonna show up and the Holy Spirit will do it for me. I could prepare, but why bother? The man makes food out of nothing. Why should I prepare food? Or we fall off on the other side. It's all me. I've gotta do it all. It's all my prep. This sermon will be good if I put 60 hours into it. If I put 20 hours into it, it's gonna be lousy. It's me, I've gotta do it. On either side of those, those cliffs, we fall off. Then it stops being him who's in charge. I'm not preparing because he's told me to prepare. And I'm not preaching because he's told me to preach. Because at the end of the day, all I can do is talk to you. I talk and you listen. That's the absolute worst way to teach anyone. Any teacher will tell you that. Lecture is the worst possible way to, to, to teach someone. I'm not trying to give you information. I'm trying to change your lives. I'm trying, I want you to be transformed into the image of Christ. And I have zero power to do that. All I can do is talk to you. I have to trust that the Holy Spirit is taking his word. And he is going to use that to transform you. I've got to live in that tension between, oh, you better put the time in. <laughs> you better study, you better work, you better read. You need to be ready. You need to have practiced that. You can't just stand up and spout it out of your mouth. Uh, Tim and I were joking earlier. He was like, hey, I'm going to have bullet points this time. I'm not just going to stand up and let the spirit lead me as I do announcements, right? It's, that's the sermon right there. I'm going to plan, but then I know it's God. I, I can't change any of you. I can't make any of you believe a word I say. I can't, I can't change, what is it Jesus says? You can't change a single hair on your head, right? I can't change a single hair on any of your heads. All I can do is talk. But if we fall off either side, that, oh, it's all God, I don't gotta do anything, or it's all me, it doesn't matter what God does, then I wonder if this isn't true as well, that Jesus just steps back for a moment. I mean, he's promised never to leave us if we're Christians. I don't mean they see Jesus the next morning. He doesn't walk away and never come back. But I wonder if sometimes my prayers for things don't seem to get answered. It's like he's not listening. Maybe because I've fallen off to one side or the other. What I'm asking him to do is, hey, you do it. You make the food. I really don't want to have to be bothered. I don't want to have to buy it and prepare it and cook it. That's a pain. You do it. And I think his answer to that is probably no. <laughs> no, I gave, you, I gave you two hands. I gave you money. I gave you a mind. No, I expect you to do that. And then sometimes my prayers are, you know, I mean, it's not even praying. It's just, it's me. 
I've just got to do it. God, why, you know, why, why isn't this working? Here I am, I'm working so hard. Why isn't this happening? Well, <laughs> maybe because I think it's me instead of him. And the person who's going to get credit is me because I did all the work and I did it. We live as believers in this tension. And I'm willing to bet you have this tension in your life. You have places where God has called you to things. Right? Again, this all starts with Jesus. We know from the other stories, the disciples come to him like, you gotta get rid of these people. But they're there because he had compassion on them, healed them, taught them. He's gathered them all day. Disciples are like, it's time, Jesus, time to go, time to go home. And he says to them, you feed them. Like he has started this and he now expects them to be working in it. I bet there's places in your life where God has called you to things. He started things. Hey, you, you, that, that, that issue over there, you do it. Tim needs people to help organize the Seder. Okay, he doesn't need people to like do the Seder. We've got someone coming in to do that. But we need people to organize it, to, to get the food together, the meal, the announcements, all those sorts of things, the invitations, right? Maybe God's saying to you, that's you. I gifted you to do that. Now go do it. God's not gonna do it. God's not gonna make invitations appear suddenly in the printer one morning. I'm not gonna walk in and there's all the food. We're gonna do that. But we're gonna do it through him. We're gonna do it with the money that he's provided us. We're gonna do it with the energy that he's given us. Paul will tell the Colossians, I work hard. I work hard for the gospel with the energy that God gives me, with God's energy powerfully working through me. I'm willing to bet, there's, if, you're, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm willing to bet there are places in your life where God has said to you, no, you give them something to eat. And now you've got, you've got a, a question to ask yourself. You've got that tension. You can't do it by yourself. But don't try. <laughs> don't make it all about you and don't try and pawn it off on him. Be like Andrew. Here's what I got. Here's what we have, right? I know that this is not enough, but here's what I have, and you have called me to this. What do you want me to do next? What does this look like? Maybe what Jesus wants you to do next is sit down on the grass. And at that point, he's gonna run with it. I don't know. You know, you read the stories throughout the scriptures. Sometimes it's like this. Other times, he's sending people out. He sends this out, 72 guys, he sends them out. He doesn't go with them. He just sends them. He's like, you preach, you heal, you cast out demons. I am empowering you. Now go and do it. I'm willing to bet there's places in your life where God's called you to something and you gotta live in this tension. So I'm gonna pray over us. And as we do, again, I want you to do what I always ask you to do. Just, just listen. See if God's spirit says anything to you. Are, are you leaning too far one to the other? Are you falling off one side or another? Are you praying and you don't feel like Jesus is listening to you? Is that because you're asking him to do it all? And he's like, no, I want you to be part of this. Or is it because you're trying to take it all from him? He's like, no, that's mine. I'm in charge. You serve at my bidding. I don't know. See if the Holy Spirit says anything to you. Hey, maybe you're walking right down the middle. Praise God. Amen. See if the Lord says anything to you as we pray. And if we do, if he does, then tell him what Andrew told him. Here's what I got. <laughs> I got five dinner rolls and two anchovies. But you said feed these people. So what do you want me to do? Let's pray. Jesus, I, I readily confess, I struggle with this line. 
I, 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 I don't walk it like a tightrope. I, I weave it like a drunken sailor, back and forth and back and forth. And I'm willing to bet my brothers and sisters do too. Just to, to walk this tightrope that I see here between your power and my responsibility and not being like the crowd that is going to decide what is best and make you do it. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for any of us who are in these situations, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us. Are there places where you have called us to act, things that you have called us to do that we've either taken over and we're not trusting you and relying on you, or we're not doing it because it seems impossible? Holy Spirit, speak to us. What does that line look for us in each of these cases? Where do you want us to walk? What does it mean to work hard, as the Apostle Paul says, but to do it through all of your energy, the energy that you give us? How do we work hard for you, Jesus, and know that it's you doing it? It's you empowering us. It's you who've given us these abilities. If we have money, it's because you've given us the ability to make money. If we have strength, it's because you've given us strength. If we have smarts, it's because you've given us brains. How do we walk this road? Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for for all of us in all these situations, Holy Spirit, that you'll guide us, that we'll walk that line well of being completely dependent on you, just burning out all of that self-reliance that we have. And yet at the same time, working hard, working hard for you, straining and striving because you've called us to it. And if we have you, that's enough. Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to us now as I pray. Speak to us as we sing after this time. Speak to us as we we take the elements, as we stand in line, as we sit and take the bread and the cup. Speak to us, Lord. We are your servants. Show us if there's ways we've gone too far to one side or another. For your glory, Lord. (laughs) Not for ours, you know that. Not for ours, for yours. That, That we that we look like you, that we are good servants. Jesus, you did this. You walked this line. You worked hard, and yet you knew full well it was always your Father within you, and you always said that. I only do what my Father tells me to do. I only say what my Father tells me to say. You lived this out for us. Help us to imitate you, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name, Jesus, because we're yours. Amen.